we are in our last week of our series called Space. Um, this series has been about creating space for God because we know this. We know God speaks to us. God helps us in the moments that we create space. Uh, God's not one that says, keep running, and then I'll just tell you along the way. God's one that says, create some space for me, create some time for me. Uh, allow me to speak to you in those times. And really what I think that we have to do as Christians is very purposefully take time where we remember what God did, where we remember what he is in our life, and look for him to talk to us in that time. When we, we talked about taking time off. We talked about being, having a Sabbath. Really this week we're going to be talking about gratitude. Um, that sounds kind of weird maybe to some of you that that's a time of space, but that's exactly what it is, is when we set time to remember what God's done for us, it creates the space in our life where we remember what happens. In fact, what you see in the Bible is you see a lot of people that continue to mess up just because they didn't have gratitude. They didn't take the time to remember what God had already done. In fact, you see that big time with the Israelites that were just released from Egypt. So Israel was in, the Israelites were in Egypt at this time. They had gone away from God, so God's like, fine, I'll allow the Egyptians to capture you. They captured them, made them slaves. Uh, It is a horrible, horrible time. They're killing them. They're killing, at one point, they kill all the boy babies. It's just, it's a bad time. God speaks to Moses. Uh, He says, hey, I'm going to let you lead the Israelites out. Moses goes in, and Pharaoh does not want to let them go. And so Moses goes, fine, we're going to have these plagues. And so there's all these plagues that come through uh, where it's just frogs everywhere, gnats everywhere, flies everywhere. There's livestock die. All the water turns to blood. There's a time where it's just absolute darkness, just horrible, horrible plagues. And Pharaoh still doesn't give in. And so Moses is given the last thing, and he's told this. He goes, tell all of your people this is what's going to happen tonight. Uh, the angel of death is going to come over, and the angel of death is going to kill the firstborn son of every family that doesn't prepare. And the way they're going to prepare is that they kill a lamb, the sacrifice, and they cook it, but they take the blood and they put it above the door. And the angel of death will know not to kill the firstborn son of that family because the blood is above the door. And the idea is that it will pass over. And so what you see is the angel of death comes, kills the Pharaoh's firstborn son, uh, saves the rest of the people, and the Pharaoh goes, fine, you can go, and so they go. And we know the story. They, they head off to get to the Red Sea. They, they're, they're stuck at the Red Sea. The army's coming. They think they're going to die. God parts the Red Sea. They go across. And then the next couple of days, what's crazy to me is the amount of miracles that they saw. Uh, every morning, they had what's called manna that would show up just magically every night. They would have quail that would come through. Uh, there was a cloud of fire that led them where they were going. Uh, On top of that, there was a time where Moses struck a rock and water came out of it. I mean, there were literally miracles the entire way. These people saw miracles on a daily basis. They get to the promised land. They get to the place that they're supposed to be, they're supposed to take, that God says, this is for you. I will give it to you. And they see the size of the people. They see the size of the walls. And all of a sudden they stop and they go, it's not possible. And really, I think part of the reason that they're there is because of the lack of understanding of the gratitude they should have. See, if they had gratitude in their lives, they would realize how big God already was. It, it would be a much different conversation. They would say things like, wow, those people are giants, but we have God. Those walls are huge, but we have God. They, they're incredibly fortified, but we have God. They have better weapons, but we have God. I mean, think about this. They just left a place with a bigger army than what they're going to go against, and God took care of them. They have all these things. What happens is their perspective gets skewed because they're not gracious for what God already did in their lives. The perceived sacrifice that they had wasn't worth the perceived reward. And here's what's interesting is when you follow after God, 
When you're doing what God wants you to do, when you're following, he, at some point, he's going to ask you to sacrifice something. He's going to ask you to go after something where your sacrifice is going to perceive to be less than the reward is. And it's whether or not you already see what God's already done is whether or not you trust him with what's next. And when we see what God's already done, it's that gratitude. It's remembering what he did. And so what, we, what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward to Jesus' time. Six days before his death, they're actually getting ready to celebrate the Passover, which is what the Jewish people did after that, is they celebrated that time and remembered how God saved the Egyptians. Jesus had just performed his biggest miracle. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And so because of that, all the Pharisees were very pissed off. They're going, well, he just raised somebody from the dead. Nobody wants to follow us anymore because we haven't done that lately. So we're, they're, we're, they're losing all of their followers to Jesus. So they're like, we need to kill him. We need to kill him. This needs to happen. Jesus knows this is going to happen, so he, he wants to get together with his followers. He wants to get together with his disciples for what's called the Last Supper and tell them what's going on and kind of prepare and go, guys, this is what is supposed to happen. And what's crazy is you see Jesus start off the entire thing with an incredible act of service. See, they gather together, they go up to the upper room, and normally there's a servant there. And as you come in, the servant will wash your feet. And it's considered the lowest level of servant was the one that washed the feet because you were walking along. I mean, imagine back then, it's dirt roads on top of it. What's around? Animals. So animals are just going to the bathroom everywhere. It's dirt roads. So somebody's feet have feces on it, has everything that's bad, has trash, all that kind of stuff. So when you came in, nobody wanted to touch someone's feet. That's why they had a servant wash them. So everybody walks in. I can imagine the disciples kind of looked at the youngest disciple, whoever he was, and went, hey, you're, you should wash everybody's feet. And he's like, shut up, guys, and went over and sat down. Like they probably looked at the other ones and said, you should probably do it. You should probably do it. And nobody did it. And then Jesus walks in and we see this in John 13, four to nine. It says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. When Jesus came, Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never ever, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. I mean, here's what's interesting to me is Jesus in that moment. I mean, Jesus right now is like a modern day, a little bit of a celebrity. These disciples have been following him. He's been doing miracle after miracle. It's been a good deal. In fact, right now, it's probably the best deal to be Jesus' disciple. It's one of those things where you walk along the road and people are like, aren't you Jesus' disciple? You're like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. Like they, they probably, this is one of those first times before that, before he became big, they're probably like, hey, he's the crazy guy. The guy just raised somebody from the dead. You want to be associated with Jesus. And I mean, just think about it. If, if uh, somebody that's a big-time superstar walked into a room and something lowly was going to be happening, they probably would yell at the person, somebody else, to do it. Jesus gets out and he does it because he knows this. He knows that the, what, the, the biggest will be the least. The, the first shall be the last. He says, if there's something to do, then you must do it. And I think one of the biggest problems we have in Christianity is this. Is there's the lie that we believe is that we see problems in this world. We see people struggling. We see people hungry. We see people going through so many things. And here's the lie that we believe. Someone else will do it. We do. We believe someone else will do it. How many times have you seen someone in need, saw a problem, was talking to someone, you felt God push you towards them, but you go, you know what? Someone else will do it. Jesus in this moment is going, no, no, no. You don't say someone else will do it. You do it. I mean, it's one of those reasons that we do foster care 
is in Hillsborough County, there's over 4,000 kids in foster care. There's not enough people to take them in. And you look at the situation, and guys, please, for those of you who don't have kids, kids are not easy. They're not at all. And you go, somebody else can take them. Somebody else has that gift. And we looked at it, and we looked at the situation, and God's like, I'm putting this on your heart. So we're like, we need to go, and we need to do it. We need to do it. Why? Not because we believe it's the, the highest thing, and if you don't do foster care, then you're a horrible person. It's like, no, God showed that need to us, and he said that's what you're supposed to do. So you believe God gives all of us that need. God gives all of us that push. And he's just reminding us, hey, Jesus never felt like anything was beneath him. He says, if the opportunity is in front of you, it's your job to do it. I've said that before, guys. It's like, it's not whether or not there's this big sign. If God puts it in front of you, it's our job to do it. In John 13, 14, and 15, Jesus says this. He says, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you the example to follow. Do as I have done to you. See, Jesus didn't say, do as do not, not as I say, but not, do as I say, not as I do. He didn't say that. He didn't put the, pull the parent thing. Like, I still remember the one time I heard, not the one time, but one of the times I heard my dad curse. And I'm like, dad, you curse. He goes, yeah, do as I say, not as I do. I'm like, why not? Sounds kind of fun. Uh, it's just like one of those things you, you think, well, Jesus could have easily come into the world, done all the big stuff, the miracles, right? He could have just done the miracles and then left the lowly stuff for everybody else. He goes, no. I'm going to go first. Before we ever sacrificed, Jesus sacrificed. Before we ever had to love, Jesus loved. He goes, I'm showing you what it should be. In John 13, 34, 35, it says this. It says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He's saying this. What sets us apart from the rest of the world? It's not going to church. It's not reading our Bible. It's not telling other people that they're wrong. It's not putting a Bible verse in our Instagram bio and then putting a lot of other stuff underneath it that's very interesting. Just throwing that out there. It's always interesting to see that. It's not just saying you're a Christian. It's not knowing a lot of Bible verses. It's not any of those things. He goes, the way that people will know that you're a Christian is the way that you serve one another. See, it says in the Bible that we're supposed to be God's hands and feet. See, God could do all of this, but he wants us to do it. He wants to use us to do it. And the idea is very simple. God blesses us. We're thankful for that blessing. God calls us to something we feel like we should out of the blessing that he's given us. The problem is, is this, is that I believe in the United States, we don't feel blessed. And the reason we don't feel blessed is because we look to the person next to us and say, their blessing's better. Their blessing's better. You know, what's interesting is when you get a little bit dose of perspective, uh, we went into Haiti a month after the earthquake. We, we were helping out an orphanage there. And I remember going in, and it's just, the destruction was crazy. Haiti is already a place that is incredibly bad off, uh, incredibly bad off. And then after the, the, uh, the earthquake, it was just horrible. You saw destruction everywhere. Uh, there was all kinds of rubbles, rubble of buildings and all that. And they basically said Haiti doesn't have the the stuff to remove the rubble. There's basically going to be dead people under that rubble for long periods of time. You would drive in the van and you're just going along and you're looking out and you're just expecting to see something nice at some point. You're like, sooner or later, we're going to see a nice neighborhood. We're going to see something better. And you never do. And you're realizing how this, these people, it's such a bad situation that I'm not the one that can fix it. Like, it's not a simple fix. And so what I do is I go in there, and we help those that we can. We serve the children there. We do what we can in there, but understanding that we can't fix it all. 
I mean, the amount of poverty, the amount of food that they even get to eat. I remember we would brought large amounts of peanut butter because peanut butter, they'd mix it with uh, powdered milk, and it's like it, it allows babies to gain weight fast. And so it's just like you see how little they have. And then I remember coming home, and about probably about two months later, uh, I had uh, decided, I'm like, you know what? It was one of those decisions that you guys have heard me make many times. It's that decision where I go, you know what? I should lose weight. And I remember going, man, it's, uh, it, it's time. And I hate to run. Absolutely hate to run. Uh, I think it's awful. I don't understand why people do cross country. Like, there's no, like, I, I, I'd rather play sports. I love playing sports, but running is just awful. And so I, since I hate running and we live in Florida, I don't want to run outside because it's hell outside during the summer. And so we got a treadmill and we put a treadmill in our apartment and while I'm running on the treadmill, I also get bored very quickly because you're looking at a wall. And so we got a TV and we put it up on the wall so that I could watch Psych while I ran on the treadmill. And so I'm sitting there one day and I'm running on a treadmill, watching the TV, trying to burn off the calories from the amount of food that I've overeaten. And I thought for a moment, how would I explain this to somebody in Haiti? How would I explain that, well, here's the deal. Um, we've got so much food that I ate way too much. And in my own vanity, when I got fat, I decided I need to lose weight. But I didn't want to run outside because I stay inside a lot because in America we have air condition. Um, I want to stay inside. So I bought something in my house to simulate running. And on top of that, I don't like just simulating running. I need to be entertained. So I bought a TV to put two feet in front of me so that I could watch the TV while I simulate running while burning off the fat from all the extra food that I just ate. And it was like one of those moments I'm like, oh, wow, that's perspective. See, if I base my blessings off of somebody next to me that has more, I feel like I don't have much. But if I base my blessings off of the world or what God's given me, it's a very different idea. And then when you go to Haiti and you see the Christians there and the way they love God without anything, you wonder, what are we doing here? But our problem in that, really, it's the gratitude. It's, are we thankful for what God has given us? Do you think more about what God's given you or what he has yet to give you? Do you think more about what you have or what somebody else has? See, the problem in America is we have this feeling of depravity. We look around and the world, commercials, all that kind of stuff makes us feel like we don't have enough. And so we have to go out and get more and more. And you go back to the story of Jesus, and you look at what he did. I mean, the fact that he was at the top, like they were laying down palm fronds. He was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. They were chanting his name. And days later, they're spitting on him. They're beating him. They're crucifying him. They're letting a guy go that was a murderer instead of him. At any moment, he could have stopped it. At any moment, he could have said, this is enough. Yet he continued to go through it. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like to watch people play dice for your clothes knowing that you're dying for their sin. But how often do we think about that? How, how often do I think about the sacrifice that Jesus gave? I mean, what's crazy to me is Jesus, knowing the sacrifice he was about to do, continued to forgive. One of the biggest examples you see in John 13, 36, 38. This is Simon Peter again because he's the one that opens his mouth constantly. Simon Peter asked, he said, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come right now, Lord? He asked. 
I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Jesus has walked with Peter for three years. Peter has seen countless miracles. Jesus had incredible patience with him. And the third time that Peter denies Jesus was to a middle school girl. And when Jesus comes back, I don't know, I'd have a hard time with that. But what does he do? He forgives him. He Not only does he forgive him, he gives him a chance to redeem himself. See, what Jesus does is he, he, he died not just for the sins we've already committed, but what we're going to do. He died knowing that we were going to commit those sins, knowing that we're going to betray him over and over again. It comes down to perspective, though, in that gratitude. How often do we even think about those things? I was, um, you guys heard me talk about this last week. There's been, there's been a lot of death. I don't, I don't know why in my life lately. And uh, one of the churches, like a guy that was huge in the church, family friend, a guy named Ron Kelly, passed away. He was 62. Um, he had cancer. And uh, he left behind some incredible people. His wife, who has a ministry that reaches out to women in the strip clubs. Uh, his two kids that are both in worship ministry. And he passes away. It was his fifth time with cancer. And so we, we go over to Van Dyke for the funeral. And the entire lower bowl is full. I mean, there is hundreds of people there to see this ending, to support the family, to remember who he was. And, and Chrissy and I went, and we had our two, our, little, our two little foster babies, four months, and I had the 15-month-old. And the 15-month-old starts to do what every 15-month-old does. It realizes that there's, there's quiet and feels the need to fill it. And just let everybody know that he's there. And so he just, like, he started making noises I've never even heard him make. Like, it was a grunt, and then it was just like, ah! And it's like, what are you doing? Like, you, and then you start talking to a 15-month-old like they can actually understand you. And, like, I, and so I go out into the lobby, and I take him, and, and we sit down, and we're just kind of sitting there. And I'm listening to his, his sister, his wife, and his two kids give eulogies, basically talk about their dad and how much they love him and care for him and the amazing things that he did. And he was basically just a rock for that family and loved so many people. And you, you see the people in there, you know the amount of money, the amount that that family would sacrifice just to get more time with him. In fact, if you looked at that entire room, you would look at so many people that would be like, man, if we took up an offering and it was like, man, if we hit this amount, Ron will spend another year with us. The people would have hit large amounts. The entire area would have sacrificed so much to spend more time with Ron. And I'm sitting there with a 15-month-old baby who's African-American. He is one of six kids. He's, he's somebody that people look at, and I think because when you're a baby, Everything looks different. You don't see the life that's about to be lived. But according to statistics right now, he's somebody that most people would say, well, they should have aborted him. There's no way they should have that many kids. I mean, you look in a place like New York, more African-American babies were aborted than were born last year. And it, it, society looks down and they don't, there's no perspective. They see, they see the sacrifice that has to be made. They don't see the possibility. They don't see that he's going to one day be a husband. He's one day going to be a dad, he's going to be a grandfather, an uncle. He's going to love and care for so many people. He's going to affect on everyone, but there's no perspective there. And 
I'm, I'm not here to say that we need to just go, hey, I can't believe people can be for abortion and all that, and not at all, because I don't feel like that's the deal. In fact, I think this as the church, if we say we're pro-life, uh, we can't just yell that we're pro-life. We actually have to be the care and the love behind the moms that are actually having the babies. See, I think if you're pro-life as a church, you should surround those young moms and say, we're here for you. We're gonna help you. I think if you're pro-life, then you should look at even fostering and those things going, hey, uh, we really care about that baby. And when you go through a troubled time, we're gonna make sure your kids are taken care of. Because if you're pro-life, it's saying, I truly care about that kid, not just the moment that they're born, but throughout their life. And so it's one of those things, now that that's such a, a topic, I go, the perspective of what can be. And I think that's what we miss with Jesus. I, I do. I think it's what we miss with God, is we don't see his perspective. We don't see, understand what he's done, A, and what he's still going to do. I think sometimes we're not, we don't think much of our, other people's lives as maybe we don't even think much of our own lives. We look at ourselves and we don't understand why he would have even died for us. We don't see what's possible. We don't see what's next. And it's because of our perspective. See, I think this, and it's going to be up on the screen, I think this is what gratitude is. It's a natural response to an accurate perspective of what God has done for me. It's a natural response to an accurate perspective of what God has done for me. I think that's what we're missing sometimes. We don't understand, one, how much God loves us, two, what God wants to do with our lives. See, God wants to do something with us. In fact, you see when the Egyptians were in the desert, when they ate, they weren't even allowed to unpack. They had to eat with their walking stick because as soon as God said go, he expected them to go. See, God wants to do something incredible with your life. But really, when he calls you to do it, you're not going to understand. You're not going to believe that you can do it because you don't understand the power that's behind you. You don't understand the power that's already come before you, the power that already sacrificed, already loved, and really all he's asking you to do is take a little bit of that power and love somebody else. 